it's always a little nerve-wracking when you're preaching somewhere you've never been. And you guys have just been really kind. Rick was really kind this morning. He texted me the address and the time to show up. And then he started butt-dialing me, uh, which I didn't realize what was going on. First time I answered, I'm like, hello. There's nothing. Second time, hello. The third time I figured out what was going on. And I said, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. (laughs) The only reason I did that joke is I thought of it this morning. And I mentioned my wife. And she laughed. And I was like, that's a winner. (laughs) If If my wife's laughing, it's a good deal. Okay, like Rick said, we're going to be in Psalm 95. Turn in your Bibles or tap in your phones, whichever you prefer, to Psalm 95. Uh, While you're turning there, just a brief introduction to it, um, or as we're talking about the Psalms in general. uh, Something I love about the Psalms is that they, they allow us to be Christians and be humans for real. I think sometimes there's a pressure when we're following Jesus to pretend like everything's okay, that we're okay, that we're not having problems or issues or, no, no, our marriage is perfect. Believe me, it's fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Seriously, don't ask again. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. This, this is, this is a, a societal, cultural, even Western Christian thing that we tend to do. And what I love about the Psalms is that they act as an invitation for us to be open, to be honest, to be real with not only God, but in community. Um, And I'm really excited that we get to step into the psalm, this psalm particularly, together today as a family. Okay, Psalm 95, I'm going to read it for us. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did at that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We ask now, Father, that we would be changed by your word, that your truth, your presence, your goodness would transform us, and that as we read this invitation to worship, we would be a people who worship. We love you, Jesus. Our eyes are forever just fixed on your face. Amen. This is, a, this is a great psalm. I love this psalm. This is not one of the psalms that makes everyone comfortable in the room. Have you guys ever been like, oh man, God gave me a chapter, it's a, it's a psalm, and you read half of it and you get the second half, you go, okay, I'm good. That's, <laughs> that was for someone else. That's not for me today. Uh, this... Uh, 
this psalm is, it's, it's an invitation to recognize the reality of life, the reality of where we're at, the reality of the stories that we walk through in our day-to-day existence. And, and, but at the end of the day, as a whole, it's a praise psalm. It's actually an invitation to worship. It's an invitation for us to come and worship, to come and worship. For, for centuries, the church has called the psalm venite, uh, which is Latin. It means, O come. It's where we get the word invitation, venite. And it, the psalm's divided in a couple ways. Everyone likes the first seven verses, right? Like, O come, praise the Lord. He's like this. Praise the Lord. O come. Great. And we get to the second half, and we go, I'll read that later. That might not be for me. Uh, but I want to look at the two sections separately and then united later. So let's look at the first section, the first seven verses. Um, the first two verses uh, are, are invitation, and then the second, and, and then three, four, five are why we worship. This is who God is. And then six and seven are a combination of thoughts. They're come worship because of who God is. So what, what's going on here? This is the Hebrews would use thought rhyming. We use, we use rhymes to communicate or to have poems, right? My dad won a poetry competition in college. Okay, this isn't in my notes. This is good preaching. Uh, uh, he, he, won a, he won a competition in college for this poem. Old Joe was quite a dog, but he ate food like a hog. He got so fat, he couldn't sit on his mat. Then he died. It was a bad poetry competition. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> it was a bad poetry competition. And, and, that's, and you can see, he uses rhyme. Dog, hog, fat, mat. That's how we rhyme. Ancient Hebrews would use thought rhymes uh, to communicate a message, to repeat a thought or idea. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. That's the first thought. It's the first thought. And then the next verses, this is the reason why we do this. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. So look at the, uh, these verses are explaining who God is. This is why we worship in the verse three. For the Lord is the great God. He's the king above all the gods. He's, He's the top dog. This is it. He's the best. And then, In his hands are the depths of the earth, the deepest places, the deepest crevices and caves possible, all the way up to the highest mountain peaks. All that space is his. And then verse 5, the sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Everything belongs to him. He is a God worthy of our praise. Then verse 6 is another invitation. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. And then... Why? For he is our God. We are the people of his pastor, the flock under his care. So the two, the two thoughts, let's say thought A, this is how rhymes work. Everyone remember lit class and it was like A, B rhymes and all that kind of stuff? So the A, the A rhyme is the invitation, come, come, worship. And the B rhyme is why do we worship? And the first set of B rhymes is because of who he is. We worship because of who he is. We respond to who he is. And then the second B rhyme is we respond to who he is because we're his people. We belong to him. So that's part one. And I want to pause briefly about and, and talk about worship, this idea of worship, about why do we worship, how do we worship, what are we doing when we worship, 
And the idea, we as creatures, as human beings, we're, we're worshipers. That's what we do. That's a part of being a human being is we worship. And we worship things all the time, constantly worshiping things. We worship things by our attention, by what we do, by how we respond. Uh, some of us worship Facebook a lot. Anyone do that? Some of, us, some of us worship a TV show, so much so that we tell our friends about the TV show. We love this TV show. Some of us are thinking about football season coming up. Thank you, Lord, and amen. Uh, we're, we're excited about that. We respond. Extol. We see that word extol in the second verse. Extol means when you lift something up with your hands or you lift up in general. Anyone else, like, your team, when your team is doing so good, yeah, yeah, you're at a stadium, woo, you're stoked about life. Or, like, you have a really good burrito, yeah. <laughs> that just me? Okay, it's just me. That's fine. Don't worry about it. That's just me. We, this is, we respond. This is what humans do. We see something worthy. We see something wonderful. And we respond. That's what's going on. And what's beautiful about worship is I pray for all of us today in this invitation to worship that we would get such a picture of God that responding would be second nature, that worship would just erupt out of us, which is what happens. This is what happens when, 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 there's, when there's a high school boy waiting at the bottom of the stairs for his date to come down, and she comes down the stairs and says, wow, that's worship. That's responding, responding, and that's what we are called to do. And we're called to worship the king above all kings. We're called to worship the guy whose land is from Mount Everest all the way down to the deepest ravine in the world. The man, the, the, man, the God who formed the seas and the land, everything on the planet, that's who we worship. He is the one worthy of our response. So that's the first part of the psalm. Now to the awkward part. <laughs> Keep reading. Today, verse 7, at part B, if you would only hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah or as you did at the day of Massa in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. For they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. I want to highlight very quickly verse 9, your, where your ancestor tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. They, they knew God. They had seen God, and they were not responding like they had. They had seen what he had done, and they were not responding with faith. But what, what is this story? What is this Mary about? What is this Masa? What's David talking about here. And this is a story we find in Exodus 17. So to explain what's going on, let's all turn Exodus 17 or tap, whatever you want to do. Exodus 17. And while you're turning there, I'm going to set up the stage a little bit for the story. Uh, this is after the Israelites have just left Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. They just, they just figured out manna and quail. Like that's how new to the story we are. They, they're fresh out of Egypt. And we pick up the story, Exodus 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, which is an awful-sounding place, if you ask me, uh, and traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. 
They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. By the way, kind of a big deal. I know we give the Israelites a hard time, but if you're out in the desert with no water with a tour guide, maybe speak up. Just a, that's for free, pro tip. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord at rest? But the people were thirsty for water here, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make our children and livestock die of thirst? It's fair point. Verse 4, then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. That's how intense this situation is. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for people to drink. So Moses, Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, which me, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? So Israel's wandering in the desert. Things are not going the way they want them to. And they begin to fixate on everything that's going wrong. Begin to hone in, like, what about this? What about this? What about this? Things were great in Egypt. What about now? We're not even, we're starving. Well, we're not starving anymore. They've got man and quail. We're dying of thirst. We have no water. We're in the desert of sin. We've got nothing going for us. And The reality is these are the same people that had seen God part the Red Sea for them. And they think after doing that, he would just abandon them. We We can cast stones all we want, but how often have you and I done that in our own lives? Where we look back and we see all the things that God has done, and then we enter a desert season, we're like, oh no, what's gonna happen? I have no idea. And we forget what's come before. God tells Moses, go hit that rock over there. And he did, and water came out, and it nourished the people. Paul's retelling of this story, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, lets us know. And at the beginning of uh, Psalm 95, too, you can turn back there. It says, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. This psalm is about this story. The rock of their salvation was the rock that was struck and water came out of it. And Paul's retelling this story in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. He says that Jesus is our rock. In our desert seasons, he's our salvation. He's where water and life comes from. From his side, when he was struck, comes healing, redemption, refreshment. So why is David writing this psalm this way? Because he's in a desert place when he's writing this. This is written while he's on the run from King Saul. And he's with his people. He's a man leading a people through a desert, season and an actual desert, reminiscent of Moses. And he writes a psalm and invites his people to worship. And then says, don't be like our ancestors. Don't grumble and complain. Trust God do good, and worship, and worship. So that's the psalm. So what does that have to do with you and me? How does this enter our stories? How does this enter 
our lives. I think the way that we react um, is that we do, we do the exact thing that the psalm is asking us to do. We worship. We respond. David says, let us sing, let us shout, let us bow down, let us extol, let's lift hands. We do these things. Do you know why we have music every week? Why we don't just worship, like, you know, just sitting in our chairs with, I don't know, like nothing going on. We just think without, without music. Music is powerful. Music is world-changing. Music was created by God, and we use it. And the psalmists use music. To, to transform who we are. Music, uh, there's, there's a great, oh, okay, there's a great story. Uh, David Bowie, okay, now you know it's a good story. <laughs> uh, David Bowie uh, did a, performed a concert in 1987 at the Berlin Wall, West Germany, or West, West Berlin. Um, and he, he stood there performing for thousands, and he knew there were some people behind the wall on the east, in the east side of Germany. Tensions are as high as they've ever been in the Cold War between East and West. He didn't know that thousands of people of East Germans had gathered on the other side of the wall to hear music, to hear rock and roll, to hear the sounds of freedom. He didn't realize that. It's a three-day festival, and on the first day, he's playing, and he plays the song Heroes. You guys know that David Bowie song? We could be heroes even just for one day. We could be heroes. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing song. You can actually find this performance on YouTube. Just Google David Bowie 1987 Berlin, and you can see it. It's an awful recording, but it's powerful. And it, let me read what David Bowie wrote about the song. He says, I'll never forget that. It was one of the most emotional performances I've ever done. I was in tears. When we did Heroes, it really felt anthemic, almost like a prayer. I've never felt it like that again. What, we, what history tells us, what he didn't know at the time, he heard the cheers coming from the other side. He didn't realize the thousands upon thousands of people that had gathered to hear this. He didn't know. He heard some cheering, you know, but there's cheering here. He's got, he's got monitors and stuff, and History tells us this was a turning point in bringing down the Berlin Wall. After the three day, on the third day of the festival, uh, East German police came in and used uh, water cannons to break up the crowds, arrested hundreds of young people, and it was a turning point for the people of East Germany in their thoughts, their hearts, their attitudes towards their communist government. One week after David Bowie performed, Ronald Reagan stood at the Brandenburg Gate and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. When David Bowie died a few years ago, two years ago, uh, the, the official uh, German Foreign Office Twitter account tweeted out this, goodbye, David Bowie, you're now among heroes. Thank you for helping to bring down the wall. I mean, now, okay, some of you are like me. I, I've, my undergrad degree is political science. You're like, a song did not bring down the wall, Daniel. <laughs> there was an arms race. There was a moon race. There was all these things. They were overspending, all this different kind of stuff. The economy couldn't keep up with our economy because that's how socialism and capitalism work. Yes, I get it. But no one can deny the power of that moment. 
the power that changed people's hearts. And that wasn't even a song to God. That was David Bowie singing Heroes. It was a powerful moment in human history. And we come every week and we sing and we step into music together. And by the way, if you look at the pronouns in the Psalm 95, they're not me, I, they're us. Come, let us worship. Let us sing. Let us shout. Let us extol. And the Jewish people believed the place to worship was in community, was was here, was this. this. This time, this moment every week is our time as a community to step in to worship God together, for our hearts to be united in song, in verse, in posture, in attitude, to step in and worship together. They believe worship was made complete by being together. C.S. Lewis, uh, he wrote a book, it's called The Four Loves, and he described two close friends. He had a friend named Ronald and a friend named Charles. And suddenly, uh, Charles died. He passed away. And what Lewis discovered is that not only did he lose his close friend, Charles, he lost a piece of Ronald when Charles died. Because there were pieces of his friend Ronald that only Charles could bring out. This laughter, this joke, this repartee, whatever it is. And when Charles died, he lost that piece of Ronald too. And if you keep reading the chapter, he talks about how this applies not just to friendship, but to worship, to how we do this Together, when we're singing together, each person among us is reflecting the beauty of God. We sing together, we hear each other's voices, and we lift up and we praise, and we respond, we recognize who God is together. And it's beautiful. We see more of God together than when we're alone. And uh, uh, Eugene Peterson wrote this amazing book, called Answering God, and it's about the Psalms. And he talks about how the Jewish people use the Psalms as a hymnal. You guys know if, you know, if we're in churches with pews and there's hymnals in the front, that's, that was the Psalms for the Jewish people. And the Psalms would unite the people together. They would, when, you, when we sing Psalms of Lament together as a community, the entire community joins together with those among us who are mourning. And they're united in mourning. And in songs of praise, the community, the whole community joins together and celebrates with those who are rejoicing. Even those who are mourning join in. It's unifying. It was powerful, and it's powerful for us today. Uh, A few years ago, uh, like 2013, I think, there were some researchers in Sweden, uh, and they published their, their findings in the uh, they're finding an academic journal article in the Frontiers of Psychology. And they, dis- they did a study on choirs, and they discovered choirs, when singing together, often their heart rates will sync up. Now, the science behind it is when, when you're synchronized, you're breathing in and out, that affects your heartbeat. That's what's happening here. When we sing together, when we join in, in music, together, worshiping God, responding to who he is, our physical hearts, our spiritual hearts, we're being synced up. And it's powerful. And it's beautiful. And that's, 
we're the body of Christ. That's what we're meant to do. And body, by the way, body parts aren't meant to be like fragmented off. Like if my arm wasn't with me right now, I'd really be missing it. We're, we're meant to be united. We're meant to be together. And we know where the story is going. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we look in Revelation, we see this gathering of multitudes, every tribe, every tongue coming together, worshiping, united, responding to who God is. And every single, we know that's where human history is headed. We know. We have it here. We see it. That's where we're going. That's what we have to look forward to. And every single week when you and I stand together and we sing together and we proclaim together, that's a taste of heaven. Here, now, today, heaven on earth. And we, we know where we're headed. And David is saying to a tired and weary, thirsty people, come worship. Let us not make the mistake of our ancestors. Come worship. And some of you here might be feeling like you're in a desert place right now. Whether it's your marriage or your finances, family, job, whatever it is, you might be feeling like you're in a desert place. Um, my wife and I, um, we are in the worst place in our lives ever right now. We're in the hardest season we've ever been in. Um, we found out early this year that my wife was pregnant. We celebrated. We found out it was identical twin boys. We celebrated. And at 21 weeks, um, we lost our son Asher in the womb. And his heart stopped beating. And it caused his brother Levi to have a massive stroke. And doctors said he's not going to survive delivery. And they were going to induce her at July 30th. And every night I was feeling Levi in the womb kicking. And that was my time with him. I was trying to wrap up, throwing baseballs, like wrestling on the living room floor. I was trying to wrap up all those moments in these few kicks I was feeling through the womb. It's not going to make it. When Jill went into labor at 31 weeks, way too early, we went into the hospital knowing we're not bringing a child home. And we came out. 31-week babies are not supposed to be able to breathe on their own. They're not supposed to be able to eat on their own. And we decided we don't, if he comes out breathing, we don't want to rush him off to the NICU because if he's only alive for an hour... We don't want his hour of life to be pokes and prods and tubes. We want it to be family. We'll begin. He came out and he started breathing. That is all. Every breath was labored. He shouldn't be able to breathe, but he was. Every breath. And we had time with him. And the whole family came out and visited. At two in the morning. Told him. I'll never forget that night. 
At 4 a.m., I'd been up for 48 hours. He was bent on my chest this whole time. It's like, I gotta sleep. I want to fall asleep with you on me. One of my favorite things to do with our older daughter, Eden, was to fall asleep watching football. <laughs> uh, so I, I pulled up an old Seahawks game on YouTube. And I put him on my chest. We fell asleep at 4 in the morning. I woke up two hours later at 6 a.m. His breathing was normal. And he's alive today. He's right back there. We're still home on hospice with him. Um, we've thought he's going to pass three times this last month, and he keeps pulling through. It's really hard. It's really hard. We're in a desert. We're loving life. We're celebrating time with him. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And it's so hard to not know if he's going to be alive tomorrow or next week. That's not how this is supposed to work. You have it. You have it. You have a son, and you think about the future. Think about your hopes, your dreams, even the things you want to do, your passions you want to share. And David is saying to a people in a desert, we have two ways that we can walk through the desert, family of God, people of God. There are two ways we can do this. The first way is to grumble complain, throw our fist up at heaven. And the second way is to worship. Come, worship. Come, sing, extol, praise, respond to who God is. And the same choice comes before us today. And that's what we get to do. That's what we get to do next. We get to sing, we get to praise, we get to worship God together. And I just want to encourage you, if you're in a desert place right now, I don't care how bad this is. I was talking to a guy last night at our church. His younger brother committed suicide two weeks ago. He's in a dark, awful place. Even if that's your space, even if you're in a place like us, care what your space is, I encourage you, like David, come worship with us, the family of God. Come sing together. Come step forward. Say, this is the best thing for me as a human being. This, in this moment, is to sing, is to worship. And you know you bless God. We bless God by our singing. It's a blessing to him. It's pleasing to him. And we do it. Did you come to church today saying, like, my mission is to bless God? Well, just now it is, okay? Now it is. That's your job. We've got two more songs. Let's worship together. Let's respond to who he is, for he is good. And we know how the story ends. I was talking with a close friend of mine, Tim, a few weeks ago and it's hard to have deep conversations these days without crying, so we're crying. And he said to me, Daniel, I believe there, there is coming a day when you're going to throw a football around with both your boys. It's coming. It's coming. And I know that's the future. 
I look to that future. My hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. And we respond to a good God together. So I'm going to invite the band up and let's the rest of us, let's all stand together. Let's pray. God, we come before you as a people, I'm sure, all over the place. Some of, our, some of us are in the desert right now, and it's dry, it's hot, it's weary. Some of us are sitting at the dining table with you, celebrating, enjoying life. But no matter where we're coming from now, God, as your people, we, our heart's desire is to turn to you and to choose to worship. We know in the desert we have two choices. But today, this moment, we choose worship. Amen. Amen. So family, let's respond now. Seriously, let's respond. Let's take a moment and pause the spinning thoughts of our lives and turn our attention to a God who's worthy of our praise. Turn our focus, turn everything to him. That's what matters. He is what matters. He is what matters. Nothing else matters. He matters. We turn to him. We sing, we praise. And the tables are open. We remember what he's done for us. We remember the freedom that we have because of his sacrifice. And we celebrate all of this together as a family, united, worshiping. Let's sing, let's praise, let's respond. Go to the tables together.